I'm John Feldman. And I'm Andrew Smith. And this is The Rally Call. And we're live. And we're live. Welcome to episode 17 of The Rally Call. Over the course of your career, you will start to notice the same personality types popping up over and over again. Today's episode, we will talk about those consistent personality types, give them a name, and tell you about the pros and cons of each of them, and most importantly, how to deal with them so that you don't derail your career, but accelerate your career. Times right now are, let's say, interesting in the tech sales world. With all the layoffs happening, all the chaos, you need to know who you are dealing with, what that character is and what they want, because there are only so many seats on the lifeboat. And before we get into this episode, we should preface that we're not saying that each one of these characters is bad or good. I mean, they just are. They just are. That's a great point. They are in the organizations that uh, that you work in and you can decide whether they're bad or good. But what's important is to know who they are. So who's our first character in this movie, Andrew? Okay, this one is going to be out there a lot these days with all the chaos and the reorg. We call this one the fixer-upper. This is the person brought in by management or investors to put departments and organizations back on track, right? So they're brought in, to, like the name says, to fix up. You could also call them a savior, but their job is to get things back on track. It could be a new chief revenue officer, a VP sales, or a chief marketing officer, even a CEO. But the point is they have a license to change and they've been brought in to make change. So you need to know if one, you need to know when one of these people shows up and you need to know what's on their mind because they're thinking about change and you need to predict that change. It's, it's, this is uh, funny because I had lunch with a friend last week and he was talking about how a new CRO came into the organization brought in by, uh, by their management team and that how he was laid off. And uh, he looked at me, he goes, yeah, but I know as soon as someone new comes in, right, um, I'm the old guard, I was the VP of sales and I was gone and I'm probably going to be subbed in for one of their people. So good or bad, it's probably a crappy situation for them, but you have to recognize when someone like that comes in, in that level, pretty good chance that the person underneath them is already marked for death and <laughs> for lack of a better word. And, uh, and there's already somebody in the lineup that this new savior is going to bring in and that chair is already set aside for them. Yeah. Yeah. Individual contributors generally are immune from it right? Immune from being marked for death, but certainly new CRO comes in. The people that are reporting into that role, I mean, they're, they're basically trying out for their jobs all over again. Yeah. Right? That's actually a very good point. The, the people who survive like the first scare, they're trying out for their jobs all over again because that person, the savior, the fixer upper, whatever you want to call them, they've got, they've got their crew in the background. Yep. They're waiting and they'll make the decision to say, hey, this guy's okay, but I'm going to bring in the crew for this role, this role, yep, and that role. Yep. And that actually was probably part of the recruitment process or the, the selling factor in the recruitment process is, hey, I can come in. I got my crew of VPs. I got my crew of, that I've worked with in the past. I can call them up and they'll join me. 
And it happens over and over and over again. So if you're an individual contributor, you probably don't need to worry about it. But if you're second line manager uh, or above and a new executive comes in in your department, you are trying out for your job all over again. You see this hockey analogy, right? We're Canadian. We, we can do a hockey analogy. New coach comes in, the assistant coach, everybody else, if they're from the previous coach, like, yeah, pretty much dust off the resume. You're, you're not going to be behind the bench for much longer. Yeah, you know what's really fun is when they come in and there's always those one or two obvious broken things that previous management or others have been like harping on forever, but for some reason don't get fixed. Yeah. And this person, because they have this, you know, this magic now, they usually fix those things or are able to or enable yeah. to fix those things. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he got that done. Yeah. Or she yeah. got that done. And that is so annoying. It's right. It, the thing that everyone's been complaining about, like, oh, the, the territories are cut the wrong way, or we should verticalize, or whatever, and they've been complaining about it, reps, managers, for years, and then new, someone new comes in and says, you know, to the CEO, you know what you should do? You should change the territories. Oh my God, that's a great idea. And everyone's like, really? I've been saying that for years, and just because it's someone new, it, it has some credibility, right? Uh, so I, I guess it's a third party validating what everyone was saying before that that's annoying. So, the, but they can bring in a fresh perspective. They can bring in a lot of experience that was lacking before. Um, and, and if, you know, if you make the cut, if you try out for your job successfully, make the cut, you can, you're expanding your network. Potentially, if that person moves to another place, that's another place you can go, right? Yeah, it's, you made a good point earlier is that the people right underneath um, this character genuinely don't get affected. It's usually people who directly uh, roll up to them. They're, they're like, they're deer in the headlights. Some of them make it, some of them don't. But you have to recognize when this person comes in and let's say it's a CMO or a CRO, expect that the level beneath them that there is going to be change. Yeah, yeah. And that's an important point is that there's going to be change. And if you are perceived as somebody that's resistant to change, like we've always done it this way, we got to keep doing it this way. You, even if you're an individual contributor, you, you probably won't make it right. The broad end for change. And if you are one of these people that just doesn't want to get in with the new change, uh, yeah, I got to say, uh, you're not going to make it. So a lot of this change might be annoying. It'll just be change for the sake of change. Hey, let's try this. We did it. We, we tried that two years ago. We're going to try it again, right? Change. We got to do something. This is something. Well, let's do this, right? And you have to be careful about how you resist change or how you deal with it. A lot of, a lot of things I've seen get proposed, like new sales models, new products. They want you to sell a new way. They don't survive six months. So I, I, I don't know how to explain the art of this, but I've been able in my career to spot the things that we'll forget about them in six months. And you just, you know, okay, yeah, just give lip service, ride with it. And then six months later, it's gone. Yeah, it's like if you look at kind of long in the tooth uh, technology companies and you talk to some of the people that have been there for like 
ages, they can tell you the different eras. Yeah. Oh, it was the uh, oh, it was the EMC management era, and then after that we had the Dell era, and then after that we had yeah. the Lenovo era, and then after that we had this era or that era, and they can literally tell you like the senior management and underneath of all of the people who were in and out and in and out, and that level because they went with the flow never changed. Yeah, yeah, it's typically referred to as like the mafia, you know, like the Dell mafia came in. But it, to be honest, I think that does a disservice and an insult to organized crime after meeting some of these individuals. Anyway, what's our next one, Andrew? Our next one is the Empire Builder, right? Now, this, like the name suggests, the Empire Builder is a power hungry character who has the split, split, they're. The Empire Builder is a power-hungry character. You're going to meet a lot of power-hungry people in your life, especially in tech sales. The thing that is unique about the Empire Builder is their purpose is to assemble as much organizational... Command. Organizational command. They want as many units under their command as possible. Irrespective of their ability to command these units or know about these business units, they, they're like professional managers or professional executives rather than subject matter experts. So what they're really good at is delegation, politics, managing up, but not so much the day-to-day tasks. So they, they love to be the mover and shaker. They love playing politics and you see these people, I've, I've seen them in organizations that, okay, we're going to give Joe, now he has customer success, and we're going to give consulting services over there too to Joe. And he's got the, like a 500-person organization all of a sudden, doesn't know anything about customer success, doesn't know anything about consulting services, but is a good delegator, taskmaster, and pol- politician. Yeah, and usually very well protected uh in the c-suite yeah until that c-suite or that person leaves and then they're exposed but they're usually a protected person kind of like a don he's got a he's got his underling as soon as the don goes that person is probably uh marked for trouble as well but it's it's quite interesting when when i see this this person is like their org chart is so bloated and everybody knows their org chart is bloated. And then they question why it looks that way. Yeah. And then they say, well, they're very well aligned here. Yeah. And, uh, the, they're, if you can align yourself with them, as long as they're protected, you can actually, Hey, look, life under the empire is good. If you're trusted and they're delegating to you, you can rise through the ranks uh, as well and be very well protected and live a very uh, carefree, cautiousless life in a technology company. But the one thing that we do know for sure in all of this, Andrew, is what? Empires fall. Empires fall. They all come to an end. So this particular person, and I've seen really nice, cool, very kind empire builders, and then I've seen like treacherous ones because in times of layoff, right, because their org charts are bloated, because they may have several layers, like the person that they were extremely loyal to is now the number one person on their layoff list. Yeah. And it didn't have to be this way because they didn't have to have that freaking org chart in the first place because they did it for ego. No. And that's one of the characteristics is they... That when you look at an empire builder, they'll have like maybe seven, eight direct reports with really broad departments. And 
they will have a couple of those departments where there's so such minimal contact, right? Like, oh yeah, I got customer success and sales and consulting and whatever else, like uh, enablement. There'll be this one department where they delegate 100% of everything. And unless something goes terribly wrong, they, they just have no clue, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I got enablement due, yeah. What's happening in enablement? Oh, I don't know, check with so-and-so. It's nine layers beneath me, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so they, they never know anything what's going on. But then one of the cons of working, one of the, 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 the challenges is of working with them is they have to show what's going on in their org. And they have no clue what's going on in certain parts of their org. So it falls upon the, uh, the leader of a couple layers down to do a lot of PowerPoint, to do a lot of explanation of this is what's happening in the company. There's nothing I, I, I hate more. It's just my personal peeve. Nothing I hate more in my job of explaining to people what's happening, right? Put, me, put together a deck to tell me what's happening after all the technology, all the investment we've made in technology so that anyone in the org can know what's happening, to have to explain what's happening all the time. I mean, I don't do it in my current role, um, but I have done it in uh, previous roles. So like almost like professional broadcasters where they, yeah. where at a dime, they'll open up the laptop yeah. and give you the 15, point, uh, 15 page PowerPoint of what's going on in that org. And yeah. funny enough, it's probably what they spend most of their time on yeah. because the org is so big yeah. and because they don't have a lot of touch in it anyway. And they probably don't even build the PowerPoints. They, they might've been good at them one day, but the Empire Builder, key mark to spot one in the wild, master of delegation. Mm -hmm. Big org charts, diversified org charts. Um, what else? Well, big diversified org charts, lack of subject matter expertise, great relationships at the top. So if you can get in with the Empire Builder, you can, uh, you can ride with them while, while their stock is on the rise. Just be remember. Remember that all empires fall and you don't want to go down with it. That's a, that's a wise advice. Having seen it a few times in a 25 year meandering career. Okay, John, let's talk about a positive one or a more positive one. Or no, okay. Let's talk about a different one here, John. Let's talk about the competent visionary. The competent visionary. I would describe the competent visionary as the person in the organization who makes so much sense when they speak and present, yet for some reason, and I don't know what it is. Well, I do know what it is. We can debate it. Um, or I have my thoughts on it. But it's, it's the person in the organization where you always wonder why they're not listened to or have more power in the organization because everyone looks at them and goes, wow, like they, they do their job really well. They have very good insight into how other things might work. Yet for some reason... They're, they're still a boss, but not the Don. Yeah. And why is that? Why do you think they're still the boss and not the Don? Because the other political forces drown that person out and that force might be big enough to keep that person in their place where they are. They're too focused on doing a good job in the actual job that they have and they don't do the politicking. Mm -hmm. They don't do the politics or the empire building or... 
uh, any of that stuff. And I think that is uh, the, the drawback of the competent visionary. And they often pose a threat to people above them. So one of the things that you must learn, Robert Greene's first rule of power is never outshine the master. The competent visionaries almost always violate this rule, right? They outshine the master. They're too good at what they do. So think of the sales manager or sales leader that is fantastic at driving uh, reps to success, coaching reps, the reps love the manager. That's a threat to anyone above them, right? And they have to know how to manage that. And a lot of them don't. Yeah, it's um, what you said earlier about the politicking. Usually they're poor politicians, and that's for either one of two reasons. One, they can't be bothered to do it because it's not in their personality type to behave in that way. And number two, they've tried and they've been burnt in the past and they don't want to go uh, down that path again because of, of where it leads them. So therefore, they're kept in their place because they're extremely competent in what they're doing, but they're not really allowed to ascend or go into greater uh, parts of the business um, because they don't have that they don't have that support that, that, that they would need to do that. Yeah. yeah. And that might be, they're just not interested in it. They maybe even go as far as resenting the fact that they have to play some political game. Maybe they have a life outside of work and they put their energy there and they do that. I've, I've seen these competent visionaries who work you know, seven to five, close their laptop at five o'clock and have some productive and happy life outside of work. Unlike a lot of the, uh, the other people I've come across, and that has a price, right? So my insight, if you are working with one of these competent visionaries, is definitely use them as a mentor, right? They can be a fantastic mentor. They're not a political ally, though. You know, it's funny. I, I, I can go back and, and look at all the people that I would say were instrumental as, as characters in my career. And my personality type, I've always sort of, got along very well with and had a lot of respect for the competent visionary. I learned the most. If I'm going to learn the most from any one of these so far that we've discussed, it's uh, it's that person. Um, and I always kind of felt not bad for them, but I knew having seen multiple in the organization that I used to feel, hey, like, why don't they get their shot? Or like, why aren't they rising? And then through more experience, I realized it is is that it's not all on others that have not have caused them not to rise it's actually on themselves as well they don't necessarily want to play the game mm -hmm. that would require them to be that person so in some cases they're very very happy doing what they do and as you say there's almost a a calmness about them that they're actually very happy in their roles because they don't concern themselves with that stuff so they're like calm ocean in in the in the chaos that is usually a technology company for some reason they're the ones who are dressed in blue and they're like smile ear to ear right the happy people out of the sea of misery the happy people in the sea of misery i don't know why i equated blue with calm but i did therefore the blue color i think it's because blue represents water that's oh. why. Well, okay. So that's, that was the imagery that I had and I shared it with the listeners. All right. Well, thank you for that, John. Now here, the problem with these, these competent visionaries is we're alluding, they get killed 
by jerks or narcissists. They get taken out and they tend to wallow in middle management. If at any part the competent visionary wakes up and wants to play that game, um, they can be taken out by our next person. And our next person is? The jerk. The jerk. The a-hole. The a-hole. This person thinks the end justifies the means and is effective, forceful, intimidating, gruff, grumpy. Best way to drive people to success is through fear and intimidation. They're, they're always smart and competent. They have loyal people around them. Uh, they generally are older people, uh, although I do see some young people with, uh, with this mean streak. And the thing about them is they get consistent results. And, and that's what keeps them in the organization, right? Without the results, they would be gone really quick because they're just disagreeable people to be around. There, these are fewer, uh, there, there are fewer of these people in tech sales today. But when you and I were, were coming up off the street back in the early 2000s, this was the standard VP, right? Every VP was like this, was grumpy never smiled, used fear and intimidation, right? You, you'd go to your QBR and it was do this or you're going to get fired, basically, right? If you don't give me the answer I want, I'll ask your manager, why are you still here, right? Yeah, they're generally of the hard-ass nature, right? And you said it earlier, what keeps them around is usually they have way above average performance. Yeah. So the C-suite or the executives look at it like we can tolerate the shitty behavior because the delivery to the business mm -hmm. is exactly what we want. And without that person, we may not have that level of performance. So yeah. they're, they're willing to accept that terrible behavior. Yeah. And you know, and you're, you're right. It, it doesn't happen as much but it still happens and it happens in different ways though. They may not be overtly um, terrible or, or overtly a jerk, but their political prowess or their behind the scenes cutthroat ish that normal people or other people might not see in the organization. They still see it. That still exists. But because the performance there, as I said, they get, uh, they get a very long leash. Yeah. Yeah. As long as the performance is there and, I've worked for these people that are total jerks, never a nice thing to say, but they deliver. And because of that, they're protected. And, but one thing that a bunch of them reminded me of was my high school football coach who was a jerk and uh, had a personal dislike for me also. And was a real hard taskmaster, always yelling, always screaming, always demanding more, but he, he demanded discipline. And he made everybody a better football player. He made everybody a better athlete, a better student. And I've worked for these people that made me a better salesperson. I just hated the very sight of them, right? And so there is a, there, if there's a pro to working with these people, if they're good, if they, do drive results, getting that level of discipline can be helpful for you, especially earlier in your career. The, the scariest leader I ever worked for was, was one of my first sales jobs. It was a, a woman who ran a, a call center 
Uh, it was kind of like an inside sales. I entered the 1-800 number and sold software over the phone, right? That's, that's what I did. My first real tech job. And she was open about fear and intimidation as her tactic. And she said, I do it. And she would tell us like, I, I have one person on the way in and I have one person on the way out at all times. Just don't be the person on the way out. There'll always be one. Don't let it be you. Right. And there's only 15 people in the sales org. Right. So it's not a lot of people to choose from. Right. Mm. Yeah. But she was open that that was her, that was her tactic was fear and intimidation. She said, it works. Right. I get the best out of you by scaring you, Uh, which, you know, she didn't last. I, I, everyone outlasted her, but the discipline that she instilled in me, like to get to work early, to stay late, to take 20 minute lunches, to never have personal conversations at my desk, never do personal email, never have anything on my computer that wasn't work related. I still carry this to this day, right? Like I walk around and I see people, you know, I've walked around a lot of sales floors and you see people doing all sorts of stuff. And I think, oh my God, if, if this woman could see it today, she would just take an ax to everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because their commitment to performance is so good, but their personality is, is of not the coaching and empathetic grow the person. It's more like scream at them until they do better. I, I, my biggest, the biggest a hole that I ever worked with was at one of the larger organizations that I was at. And he had the pleasure of having a really, really good, um, organization under him. And they, they performed very well, but because they performed very well, his behavior was like, it was borderline psychotic. And what was, what I didn't like about it the most is that I was a, a, a manager on the team and then I, my reps were underneath and he didn't ever respect the fact that if he wanted to have something bad to say that he would come to me and then I would deliver the information down. He had no problem going to like these young reps and behaving in a way that, that they would call me in after and say like, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want to work with, with somebody like this, who's very, uh, a dictator and very, very KPI driven. You have to have your 30 calls a day and he'd call you and say, Hey, you know, you only had 27. You know what the funny thing is sidebar. We had a report that that showed all of the phone numbers that the reps would call into and after working the job for a couple of years the phone numbers became like you could recognize <laughs> and at the end uh, of my tenure then i'm like like how was he's like dude all the whole floor is essentially calling like the same people their parents their friends yeah blah 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 because it wasn't the the results that 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 this guy was looking for it was the pretty picture on the report that said 30 a day yeah. or 150 a week if you did that you're fine so that became the result that he was looking for meanwhile these people are like basically calling each other to get the stat up yeah but he was reviled in the organization and here's a funny uh, uh, coincidence is that he actually ended up apparently uh, getting removed from the organization for expense violations because he was fudging his, uh, expense account and he got caught. Uh, and I think, and I'm not sure, but I've 90% of the, the, of my gut tells me that the company that I went to after sold the software that revealed that he was the guy or one of the guys doing this. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, uh, of, uh, 
karmatic justice that we should call. Maybe being a jerk isn't a part-time job. No, but it's like, um, stay away from them in the organization. Like whatever you do, stay away. Yeah. Yeah. If you're working for one of these people, you're going to be stressed. You're going to be, uh, on the edge all the time. There's no safety with these people, right? One day you're in the good books because you had a good quarter, a good month, whatever. Next day you don't deliver what they want. You're out. Yeah. The loyalty is thin there for sure. The loyalty is thin. And eventually their performance will wane and eventually they go. And then everyone talks about how did we ever let that jerk in? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was talking with a colleague the other day, uh, that I'd worked with in the past. And we were talking about this when, when we were talking about the jerk, this guy's face came into my head. I'm not going to name names. Anyway, we were talking about how we felt sorry for them because they're older now. Nobody really reaches out to them. Um, this person reached out to my colleague and said, Hey, what's going on? What's happening? It was seemed really interested in his life. And he's like, why are you interested in my life? Like, I, I don't like you. No one likes you. I, I feel sorry for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's no different in like the jerks in life. They generally end up alone and miserable. Right. It's not, um, I can understand why you got to pull out jerk tendencies occasionally to get something done. But if this is your MO, you're going to end up alone and miserable, right? And, and as we say, life is too short to drive a shitty car and it's too short to work for an asshole. Let's take some time to talk about our last character. And the last character is going to be very different from the other ones that we've spoken about earlier. And that's because they're the hardest to spot. Um, the hardest for some people to spot, fair. but only because of my experience with them, am I now able to spot them? But these ones, you, you are right there. They are hard to spot and, uh, they're potentially the most dangerous of all. Which one is it? Andrew? The narcissist. So let's talk about it. What do you think? The narcissist. They're, they're in every organization and they're often at the top of the organization they are talented, they're charismatic, they're persuasive. They know how to say just the right thing to the right person at the right time. They uh, have grandiose visions and they will delight you with their grandiose fantasies and invite you to take part in it. And they'll make you feel like you're awesome. And you might think, wow, it's, I'm, I'm so flattered this, this executive really likes me and is interested in me. But you have to be careful that you're that you're not dealing with a narcissist. Now, I'm not. I am not saying at all that every executive is a narcissist, or there's a disproportionate amount of them that are. The they tend to rise in organizations. I've worked with some fantastic, authentic, humanistic leaders uh, at executives as CEOs. Um, with that are persuasive and charismatic and authentic and know how to say the right things at the right time to the right people and make you get the best out of people. They're not, they're not necessarily narcissists. What makes them narcissist is like the definition of a narcissist is that they, they gain all of their value, their, their personal value from the admiration of others. And so if they're not getting 
the admiration uh, and adulation from the rest of the people in the organization, and it's not making them look good, they feel terrible, and they act out. Yeah, there's also a big uh, control factor that I see in them. They're very, very concerned with the narrative, concerned with the brand, concerned with the optic, and the marching orders. And if you deviate in any way, regardless of where you stand with the narcissist, you could find yourself in the bad books very, very quickly. Because remember, it's all about how they perceive themselves and how others might perceive the business and they they equate themselves with the business. Yeah. So if you are not going along in the line, you are going to be quickly uh, reprimanded or or worse. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the image and how they're perceived. And so if, if they're in an, in an executive position, they care about the how the board perceives them, how the investors perceive them, how other executives perceive them. So let's say they come up with some plan, right? You're, you're a sales leader. And the plan is we're going to march in this direction. We're going to make a sales model. Uh, we're going to make this type of sales model, this type of vertical, and get your salespeople to go do this. And you as a sales leader think, okay, you're asking me to march my sales team over a cliff. And there's like, no, no, there's a bridge there. You just, we're just asking you to march over this canyon that has a bridge. And then you're like, there's no bridge there, right? We are going to fail. Absolutely. And because they've sold the vision of there being a bridge to success to other people, and that's how they derive their self-worth from this image, there's no choice for you to do it, right? If you don't do it, you're out and someone else is going to have to do it. And I've been in that position where the whole sales model has been revamped into some distorted, unproductive model. And I was powerless to resist it, right? If I didn't, if I didn't go along with it, I would be out. Yeah. I, and I've seen people who resisted and were put in the penalty box for no other reason than the fact that they wanted to have their say and probably should have had their say due to the fact that they owned it or had a more direct relationship with that organization, but were literally not listened to and therefore put in the corner because the narcissist would not hear it. Yeah. And so how do you spot the narcissist in the field, right? Well, here's a quick guide. Executives, leaders make all kinds of mistakes, okay? Nobody is immune from them, right? So I've, I've criticized some, some people here for making uh, the wrong sales model, the wrong territory model. Those honest mistakes happen right for they they might happen because they think they honestly think this is going to help when it doesn't what marks the narcissist is they will never admit that they're wrong a real authentic executive a leader would say hey we got the model wrong we heard you we're going to change it we're going to change it and make it better right and hey and they'll say we made a mistake and they're okay with making a mistake. Narcissists will not ever admit to making a mistake. They're dishonest and they'll put the mistake on somebody else to keep themselves clean and move on to the next thing. Yeah, or never talk about it. We, we have a saying for that, right? The death without a... Yeah, yeah. Let's never, ever mention this again. 
Right. Yeah, because because they don't ever want to go back and have their fingerprints on something that didn't work, and they'd rather bury it rather than take ownership uh, of it. And I've, that's a common thing. The other way to spot them, though, is they probably work from the minute their eyelids open until their minute their eyelids close, like nonstop workaholics. And you have to pay attention to this as well, because in some instances, they expect those that are there to support whatever initiative that they are are running up the flagpole or champion to work just as hard as you. So I've seen instances where it's like Saturday morning, hey, where is it? Or Sunday, I still want to do this. Uh, do you think you have a couple of hours? Yeah, I see that a lot. Well, and this is a sidebar too about, I don't get a lot of stuff on Saturday, but I, like I have had working with these people Sunday afternoon, they started to you can tell they're firing up their laptop. They're looking through email. They're sending stuff out Sunday. And some of them expect a response, right, on Sunday. Because they are so hardworking and so focused on what the company has to do that they expect that you are in the same way. I've also seen it where, like, if, they, if the person doesn't respond, they actually get a little bit of a slap on the wrist, too. It's like, hey, where were you? This is due. This is important. It's like, oh, I've got family time. So the the other thing, though, is, is in maybe... You, you would want to challenge this though, but once you understand the narcissist and their behaviors, you can actually manipulate it a little bit for your favor. Because if you know all of this and you know that they're just looking for reaffirmation in your support through all of this, and you are shown to be doing it, you can probably deflect a lot of, of uh, you know, negative criticism or things that would come your way. That's a good point. So this is the one the one time the one time that i think it's okay to just use people for your own gain right so narcissist is using you for your own gain use them for what you can right Man they can be manipulated because their egos are fragile and they're dependent on the admiration of others flatter them play to their ego right avoid doing anything to discredit them um, you're some type of pawn in their big plan. So flatter them and help them achieve that plan, or at least show them that you're helping to achieve that plan. If they're, you can't, you may not be able to change the fact that you're working for a narcissist or, or in an organization controlled by one, but you can do some level of manipulation to protect your. Yeah. And it's, it's simple as this. Here's the advice. Be a cheerleader, uh, but never, never uh, be caught or overheard uh, being a detractor. Never detract in public, never challenge in public. I've seen people get taken out on the spot because of challenging a leader like that. Um, I'm gonna go back to my musical vault here. Do you remember Henry Rollins from Black Flag? I do, you know, I actually ran into Henry Rollins at, um, a burger joint in LAX one time, really? sitting by himself with a, a hoodie on. Did he say hello? I did say hello. I didn't know who it was, and and my girlfriend knew who it was. So he, do you remember when he did his spoken word album and he had the song, and the song was called Liar? I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Really? So every time I see one of these people, that song comes into my head. And if you haven't listened to it and you want to have a better understanding of who the narcissist is, Henry Rollins and the song was called Liar. And it's basically that, that was Rollins band, not Black Flag. That, no, this is his own. Oh, oh Rollins band. You're right. Yeah. It's it's Rollins band, 
And basically he, he plays two characters. One that's somebody being like super nice and supportive of somebody telling everything that the person wants to hear and in this really sweet voice. And then he sort of switches gears and going, yeah, but you like it because I'm using you and I'm using you because, and then he goes into like, I, anyway, every time I see one of these people, I'm like, oh God, Harry, Henry Rollins, the liar. If you want to have a good understanding of it, listen to the song. I actually think he won a, uh, a Grammy award for that album for uh, spoke, best spoken word. Best spoken word. Okay. Well, your narcissistic boss may not know about Henry Rollins. So, um, we're here to give you a little insight. The corporate world is crawling with narcissists, so you need to know how to deal with these people, right? Just flatter them, use them for your own good, and they can be manipulated. Yeah, I, I was on a, a podcast with Matt Benelli, and he asked me a question. He, he was asking if I had any advice for people as they were navigating their careers and what type of people that you should align yourself with. And this seems relatively fundamental, right? So I said, align yourself with who you think are fundamentally good people, fundamentally good people. And you should, by theory, have a long, prosperous career. If you're good at your job, surrounding yourself with good people. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of the people that we talked about are bad people, right? They, they, these are just some tendencies that you have to watch out for. I mean, some of them are people you probably don't want to align yourself long term with um but some of them may display some of the things that we spoke about but from a high level if if you just play a game where you think you have a good understanding of people that you can learn from a crew a group of people that you would want to go to from company to company to company with because that absolutely happens in this in this business you will have a long professional fantastic career but if you do find yourself aligning with some of the people that we've spoken to here, you're going to eventually hit bumps along the way because a lot of the people that we spoke about do not have long lives in those organizations. They will have bumpy careers. And by you knowing some of these, you could probably make a better decision for yourself of how you should behave in an, in an organization in the first place. All right, John, that was a great summary. It looks like it's going to be rocky in the tech world for a little while longer. It looks like it's going to be rocky in the tech world for a little while longer. So it's important for you all to manage your careers and understand the different players that can help you or can hurt you along the way. Remember, there's no good or bad in any of these except for the jerk. That's just generally bad. But it's just what is. And if you think that you don't have to play the game, you're wrong. There's always a game to be played. And you have to know the players that are playing it. Yeah, before we wrap up, Andrew, I just want to say, I mean, for people who are following us on, on LinkedIn um, and listening to some of our other episodes, in this time of uncertainty in the tech market, your network is going to be the most important thing that you develop aside from the basic skills or the skills that you have in your job. Your network, your brand, your optics, these are things that are going to help you if something bad happens to you like a, a riff or a layoff. And I just want to send a note out to everybody in my personal network, 
Um, I'm very, very lucky to have what I would consider a very good personal network that has been so fantastic and so supportive uh, in my quest for what is next. I, I, I genuinely and authentically feel really, really grateful to all of those people that I've heard from that are saying, um, I can help you here. I can put you in touch with this person. And uh, so I wanted to, to say thank you to, uh, to my network on, on the show and to all the listeners. Um, and may it be a good lesson for you as you continue to build your career, build a network of peers, build a network of friends, build a network of people that know what you are capable of. And in times like this, your network will always come for you. Build it before you need it. Great advice. Thank you, everyone. So until next time, I'm Andrew Smith. I'm John Feldman. And this has been The Rally Call. If you like the show, follow us on LinkedIn. We're The Rally Call. Follow us on Spotify, on Apple. Share the word. Let's get it out. There's a sales revolution coming, and it's starting with The Rally Call. <laughs>